Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sport Podcast. Fernando Alonso tells us about his Daytona 24 Hours assault, and we preview what should be a dramatic race. Fernando Alonso is going to Daytona and will make his debut in the famous 24-hour race this weekend. We'll hear from him later on about his latest adventure outside of Formula 1. And while he's the big talking point of the race, there's plenty to get excited about. So we're also going to be looking forward to the race as a whole. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to talk about all things Daytona, first is platinum-rated sports car podcaster, Gary Watkins. Now, Gary, Daytona historically was very much the number two endurance race in, in North America to Sebring, 12 hours, even though it was shorter, it was, the, it was the bigger race. But in the 21st century, it really seems to have found its place. It's a season starter, it has some big names there, usually a dramatic finish as well. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually uh, pick you up on that because... Uh, I like an argument. <laughs> because at, at different times in the history of those two races, they've had different importance. Of course, Sebring came first, going back to, to the early 50s. Daytona started in the 60s, not as a 24-hour race. But if you look at the perhaps the classic times of uh, IMSA GTP in the 80s, perhaps uh, into the early 90s, you know, I don't think Sebring was playing second fiddle to Daytona. Then, of course, in the late 90s through the 2000s, we had the schism within uh, US sports car racing. 
And from a European perspective, the ALMS, as the name suggests, American Le Mans series, it took Le Mans rules. And for 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 our eyes, it was the more important race. Post-merger, now I think, you know, the balance has changed again. Daytona, of course, is the season opener. Uh, and therefore, uh, people's eyes are on that race perhaps more than they are Sebring. And of course, it's a 24-hour race and that resonates with people who perhaps know a little bit about Le Mans and not a lot else about sports car racing. Well, I guess it also reflects the fact Sebring was considered the more maybe the more challenging race more challenging circuit even though it's sort of half the length well it was a big I, test I, of man and machine wasn't I it? wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that absolutely yeah it's, it's a, a phenomenal circuit where perhaps Daytona isn't the greatest challenge and I think also for machinery Sebring is the great greater challenge people used to say if you can do 12 hours of uh Sebring then 24 at Le Mans should be easy. Yeah, well, the Daytona circuit, very much a roval, isn't it? That's a roval. I love. I'm, yeah. tr- I'm trying to bring roval back into use. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course, a roval being a road course that uses parts of part of the oval. Now, also joining me is Autosport Podcast debutante, silver-rated James Newbold. Now, James, it's been a long road to this point, which comes two years to the week since you first had some words published in Autosport. It's silver-rated, so you're hoping your performances this year can maybe get you an upgrade, or is it better for the career for you to stay silver? Yeah, it's quite good to be under the radar as a silver, I think. Um, yeah, as you say, Ed, um, it's, it's really good to be involved on the podcast for the first time. Um, opposite sports card Doy and Gary Watkins. And, uh, yeah, it was actually Gary who kind of got me involved in autosport in the first place. A, a chat after the Spa 24 hours in 2015, just after I graduated, uh, Gary came up to me after the race and said, you came here overnight, didn't you? I said, yes. I was stunned that he sort of knew who I was. So it's quite been quite nice to actually get to this Am I stage. right saying that you came late because you had to go to your graduation? I did, yes. yes. I, I, I left before the cap-throwing photos were, uh, were taken. Quite right, uh, I think. Yes. <laughs> so, talking about driver ratings, though, Gary, once you get to a certain age... Isn't it common practice for drivers to get themselves downgraded? Well, I are you not going to do? It? Well, now I'm fifty. I can go. Gold? I can go down a down a slot. So uh, whether that takes me to gold or maybe I, I end up as paper or stone or something, I don't know. <laughs> so, being a gold driver is not very helpful, though, is it? Well, it's it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small it's a very, it's a very small difference, and I don't understand why it why it was really introduced uh, sort of quite early in the sort of whole. In the in the days when uh, the whole driver grading system was starting, they introduced this platinum thing, and and I never quite understood the logic behind it. But there you go. Well, the driver rating is always there to be confusing. Fernando Alonso, of course, given his reputation, he's a platinum driver, despite the fact that he's a sports car debutant. Now, Gary, we are used to big names at Daytona. In the past decade or so, Jeff Gordon, Tony Canaan, Juan Pablo Montoya, Dario Franchitti, not frontline sports car drivers, should we say, been among the winners. Does Fernando Alonso take it up to another level in terms of the interest? I think in interest outside of America, 100% or 200% if that's possible. Uh, I think, you know, if uh, Grand Am in the old days, pre-merger, IMSA, um, in the, now in the days of IMSA, the, the the pool that they've siphoned the big names from has been NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever. Uh, now, f- for whatever reasons um, that, that we're probably going to later, Alonso is doing it, and that just puts Daytona on the map outside of North America. You know, people will be reading stuff about Alonso making his sports car debut, and those people will know about Le Mans and probably won't know about much else so i think it's it's a massive boost for the race yeah and it and it, it will just increase interest exponentially you compare it to when he did indy last year that was 
instead of doing the Monaco Grand Prix. So that was massively ramped up. And, and this time it's it's slightly different. But as I'm sure we're going to talk about, Alonso's heavily tipped to go to Le Mans this year with Toyota. And this is all part of um, preparation should that happen. And yeah, it will be a fantastic thing for sports car racing if that does happen. Um, and for the history geeks like us, we can all look back on this in a few years' time and view it as the thing that got everything underway. Now, Alonso is going to be hard pushed to uh, fight for victory. He's driving for United Autosports, very good team, but the Ligier perhaps isn't the car of choice for Daytona. But let's find out first what he's doing there. Zach Brown has two hats. He's the McLaren executive director, so he's his, he's Alonso's day-to-day boss, but he's also the, the co-owner, co-founder of United Autosports. So here's Zach Brown speaking at the Daytona Raw test earlier this month, explaining how it all came together. Well, it's a great privilege to have Fernando uh, in a McLaren or a United Autosports uh, race car. Uh, really came about, you know, as we've developed our relationship and his desire to win the Triple Crown and uh, be crowned the best race car driver in the world, not just best Formula One driver. And uh, so he's got this desire to run in other forms of motor racing. Uh, McLaren has a long history in other forms of motor racing. We've won Le Mans, Can-Am, and IndyCar, etc. And um, it's something that he uh, said he wanted to do. So as we were uh, finishing negotiations on his Formula One drive, uh, he let it be known he wanted to do uh, Le Mans, maybe Daytona. I told him I knew someone that had a Daytona team. <laughs> and uh, in Singapore, it wasn't two minutes after we uh, uh, shook hands that he said, and by the way, I want to do Daytona. And uh, that's really how it came uh, came all about. What have you seen from his approach here? We know from Indianapolis, he was very thorough. The preparation was very rigorous. This is a very different kind of race, a more conventional race in many ways, but still quite unfamiliar for him. So what have you seen from his approach here? His approach, he's the most professional driver uh, I've ever seen and the most focused driver. So when he takes a decision to do something, he is all in, extremely focused, and for long periods of, of time. So uh, he's all about preparation. You know, he knows winning races happens you know, on and off the track. So his off-track preparation is, is outstanding. And um, he just wants to race. His, you know, my, my view is uh, drivers lose uh, eventually motivation. Uh, age, you know, he's 36. I think he's driving as well as he's ever driven before. And he's highly motivated. So I, I'm not one of these believers where you have to be in Formula One by 18 and at 35 year old. Look, Jensen was very quick. Schumacher uh, in his 40s was extremely uh, quick. And I think had he not taken a few years off, would have been every bit the match for Rosberg, who's gone on to be a, a world champion. So I think Fernando is one of these very uh, unique uh, characters who um, is just awesome. And uh, he loves racing here in America. And I think the Formula One community can learn a lot from how other forms of motor racing, whether it's IMSA, IndyCar, uh, engage with the fans. Because Fernando's the same person in America as he is in Formula One. Maybe the difference is the Formula One environment and community doesn't allow drivers to be uh, open and engaged with the fans like they are. So um, you see a lot of comments uh, about Fernando. He's not missed a single autograph session a single media uh, session. The fans are all lined up for him. He stops and talks to him, and he absolutely loves it. And it's great to see he's a, he's a great guy. In many ways, there's some lessons here for Formula 1 Formula 1 drivers, aren't there? We've seen a side to Fernando, both at Indianapolis and at Daytona, with the fans that 
he wouldn't have been able to show if he was in Formula 1. I remember watching him in Indianapolis last year, giving autographs and photographs in Pit Road right before getting in the car in a, in a practice session, which uh, perhaps that's a bit extreme, but it shows a very, very different world. So are there lessons here for both Formula 1 teams and maybe fellow Formula 1 team bosses in terms of how they use their drivers? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, and you started to see Fernando do some of that in Formula One when he came back, went in uh, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix, went into the grandstand uh, at the London Live event. He was very engaged with the fans. So I think Fernando, being the leader he is, is actually bringing uh, some of what is happening here over into Formula One. And it's certainly something, you know, McLaren embraces. We spend a lot of time talking to our fans. Uh, we listen to our fans. We engage with our fans. And I think the sport can do a, a better job as a whole, drivers, teams, uh, Formula One itself, and I think Liberty are doing those things that brought us the London Live event. So I'm excited for the future, but I think there's a lot of learnings, and we need to let, you know, these drivers are superstars, and, you know, Fernando's a legend, and people want to get to know him and touch him and get his autograph, and uh, he's very approachable. Uh, he enjoys it, and uh, it's great to see well, you've got to know Fernando very well, professionally, and I guess personally, as well over the past year, year and a bit. What's the reality of, of Fernando, both as a, as a person just to know and someone to work with? There's so much myth surrounding him and how he operates and, uh, and how he exerts his leverage over, over employers, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my experience and McLaren's experience have been uh, outstanding, obviously. I've been working closely with him now for about a year and a half. Uh, all he wants to do is win. He has the, sets the highest level of expectations on himself and the team. He's a great team player. Uh, with all the drama that we've had over the last few years, and you know, I, you read the various reports of he gave ultimatums and this. None of that's true. Uh, I've never heard him raise his voice once. I've never heard him blame someone. Uh, you know, he is the ultimate team player. The team love him. We rally around him. He's awesome in the car. Um, his dealings are very straight. And then, uh, you know, Formula One's a pretty politically charged environment. So uh, can't really speak to things in, in the past. Obviously, he was at McLaren once, and uh, he and Lewis didn't get along too well. But, you know, it takes two to tango. And uh, when you got the Formula One pressures and you've got two unbelievable drivers like that, and the last time we saw that was Prost and Senna, that's what... Um, uh, killer world champions do they uh, they compete hard so uh, my experience has been outstanding uh, very engaged um, very personable very very funny he's, he's probably a little bit uh, shy and I think that uh, sometimes you know because he is a, a rock star and is a little bit shy people give him some space but in reality he's an extremely approachable uh, uh, guy and, a, and, a, and a become a good friend and based on what you've seen so far from testing, what do you think of the chance of him having a, a run at victory here? Obviously, the, the record of the, the LMP2 spec cars isn't always favourable at Daytona, so maybe you're outsiders in that regard. But do you think there's a, there's a real chance of putting on a, a big show just as Alonso did at Indy? Yeah, I, I, definitely. I think, I think you're right. I think the, uh, from what we can see so far, the DPI cars have a, a little bit of advantage, probably more so here at Daytona than some of the other races the Cadillac in particular came out very strong yesterday obviously uh, uh, very strong uh, really since it's been racing so I think we probably won't have the ultimate fastest car on pace 
but it's a long race. You want to stay out of the pits. We've got three great drivers, and I think our car is very close to the pace. So I think uh, characterizing it as an outside chance of victory I think would be right. I don't think uh, we would be favorites sitting here. I would probably say Cadillac is, but, um, you know, we um, we won a lot of races last year. Uh, did great in our Le Mans debut, spent the least amount of time in the pits. So if our drivers can do uh, what they're capable of and the team does their job and we stay out of the pits, then I think we've got a good shot. Now, James, a good shot, Zach said, if they can run the race to perfection and, and stay in the game. But given the pace of the Ligier so far, Alonso was the, the best Ligier driver, 1.709 seconds off the pace in the in the raw test in the, the slightly strange faux qualifying session that, that dictates the pit box and garage order. So is it realistic to expect a Ligier to fight for victory without some significant good fortune on its side? Or well, to adapt a, a phrase that Murray Walker coined anything can happen in a 24 hour race and it usually does I mean Daytona is one of these kind of odd races where it runs to American rules so there's a lot of safety cars um, it keeps the race open so it's so long as you can stay on the lead lap you can remain in with a chance until the very end if there's you know mechanical problems or um, drivers that get caught out in traffic Brendan Hartley was caught out last year in, in traffic on the banking and he was leading at the time when that happened um, so there's a huge number of variations that go on over a 24-hour race. I mean, last year, uh, I remember chatting to Rene Rast before the start of the race, and he didn't give um, that Spirit of Florida racing team much hope at all of, you know, getting through the first few hours even. They'd done around 12 continuous laps before the car had broken down. There were so many problems with the Riley um, last year, but they ended up finishing third. So, More to the point, they were competitive in the wet conditions it was only really as the race dried out on sunday that they sort of faded from contention so that just shows you the variables uh that a a 24-hour race can throw up you know and daytona always does you know it's it's early in the year the weather's always a bit uh flaky you know it the conditions can change and i think on the continental tires you know different cars work in different temperatures uh so i think yeah it's Nothing set, nothing set, nothing's black and white, you know. I think the, there'll be a, an ebb and flow to the race as we saw last year. And of course, the strength and depth this year across the field is is probably the best it's been in IMSA since the merger. Obviously, as we've gone to talk about Penske coming back this year, um, the renowned US team has taken over the running of the Mazda. Then we get on to the, the Cadillac runners that effectively dominated the race last year in the dry conditions were the strongest team by a country mile in the test. Um, Felipe Nazar set the fastest time in the test. Can I just go back to what, what James was saying about, you know, safety cars and the importance of staying on the lead lap or being on the lead lap at the end? Because you can, of course, get laps back with the wave-by rule. How does the wave-by rule work at Daytona? The wave-by rule is very complicated and we'd probably have to phone someone from IMSA in race control to... Uh, to uh, explain it at, at exactly how it works but it does allow people the chance to gain laps back uh, during the safety cars and it's interesting to cast our minds back to 2011 when there was a united autosports car at daytona actually uh, it was run by uh, michael shank racing but that had martin brundle and mark uh, blundell in the car you know ultimately they weren't 
super competitive. Uh, they had Mark Patterson, who's an amateur driver then in his 50s, a very good uh, amateur driver, and, of course, Zach Brown driving. But they stayed on the lead lap. There was a one-lap shootout after the final uh, safety car, one green flag lap of running, and uh, Martin Brundle had a speculative sort of punt down the out- round the outside uh, into the first corner uh, as as the race went green and 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 I remember speaking to him afterwards and I said oh was that just was that just sort of sort of chuck it down the outside there wasn't that much risk and you thought you never know what might happen he goes yeah I thought I might as well give it a go you know see what happens ultimately it didn't yield anything but it, it just shows you what can happen since those days uh in race control at daytona now you know now the mergers happen they're slightly less gung-ho with the uh, yellow flags and i don't think we'll see you know that kind of cynical late race yellow uh but anyway i just think you know there will be a yellow pretty late on in the race and it will then be a fight between those who are on the lead lap but it's funny isn't it we talk about this as preparation for le mans for alonso but I almost think of the way you win the Daytona 24 hours has more in common almost with the Daytona 500 than Le Mans, because at Le Mans you can build an advantage and you can hope to hang on to it, because even, even if there are safety cars, there's multiple cars, so you can preserve gaps. Whereas a race like Daytona be at the 500 or the 24 hours, it's just stay on the lead lap, stay on the lead lap, be in the final mix-up. In a way, you, you can't, you can't no, do it, it at, at it, Le Mans. It is, yeah, it's a totally different discipline, but that's the difference between American racing and European racing. You know, we're slightly... We're purists, aren't we? And we perhaps turn our nose up slightly at uh, American racing, but uh, that's the way they do it. It it creates a spectacle, uh, and I guess we shouldn't knock it. And you can even draw comparisons with with Indy Absolutely. last year. Alonso was sort of a little bit cautious, if I remember correctly, at the at the start of um, Indy on, on restarts, but he gradually sort of grew into it. And I think that will be another element that will be quite important in this race, effectively with the Ligier. Where it's where it's strong is in the slower speed sections. Um, in the European Le Mans series last year, it's it's not a direct comparison because they're using different tyres in the US. Um, but it won at Silverstone and it won at the uh, Red Bull Ring. Yeah, all the other races were won by Oricas and at Le Mans as well. That was a very much an Orica benefit. And the the comparison between Le Mans and Daytona, I think, is quite strong because straight line speed is 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 pretty important across the banking at Daytona. So if Alonso can really use the restarts to his advantage that can be an area where he can gain a lot of places and and being brave in traffic as well because over a race distance and and a race stint you'd imagine that the Ligier perhaps wouldn't be as strong with its aero package as as we sort of found out last year it's going to be a challenge though for united because they're new to imsa despite the 2011 outing and what was what was grand down that was a, a michael shank run car as you said gary so they're effectively new to this they're a, a very good European team they've got to adapt to the continental tyres which are softer sidewalls so they have set up implications they're harder to warm up the raw test was extremely cold so they were struggling a bit with, with the tyres they were also struggling for for traction which is pretty important in terms of getting your launch onto onto the banking but they did start to make some good progress and of course the the Ligier they played their aero joker so the configuration of the car has changed so there's a fair bit of work to be done but in terms of executing that that race well good a team as united is and remember they finished fifth overall at le mans last year there's aspects that are quite challenging for them as a as effectively a a a new team to this this type of racing bruno senna is the only driver across the seven in in the two cars that has actually raced at daytona before and he only made his debut there last year i mean alonso has got 
such a wealth of experience but let's not forget that this is new to him as well he's, he's new to sharing a car with teammates so he's got to consider compromising on setup particularly with phil hansen who's 18 years old so he's got a lot less experience they've got to work across a compromise that will work for the three of them obviously it would be a fairy story if, if alonso could come out on top of this one but i think we shouldn't place too much expectation on on that sort of result and alonso is not doing this because he thinks he can win the race. He's doing it as part of a long-term plan that ultimately will be useful for him and his learning progression, and also for United as well as it grows into a, uh, a sports car outfit that can compete outright for, for honours at the very top level. I think it's also in, important to point out that United are new to US sports car racing and to IMSA rules racing. And going back to what we were talking about with the yellow flags, you know, those strategic calls and how to play them are very important. And there's no substitute for experience there. And it'd be interesting to see how how they adapt strategically to the challenges of uh, of the race. Well, James, you said Alonso would be realistic about what he's getting into at Daytona. I spoke to Alonso during the Raw test, so let's hear what he thinks about the challenge, why he's there, and his hopes of victory in the race. Well, I think it's, it's one of these uh, iconic races that uh, um, any driver wants to, to participate once in, in a life, and uh, you know this, this opportunity came this year uh, thanks to uh, United Autosport and, and Zach Brown, so um, I, I took the decision to, to come here and... Uh, uh, have my my first experience in an endurance race, so yeah, uh, ready to have some fun and uh, some uh, um, you know uh, tips uh, to to how to drive in an endurance car and a prototype. Is this one of the positives of the difficult few years you have that at least you've been able to take on things like the Indy 500, the Daytona 24 Hours, and enjoy yourself? No, I think uh, this I I had in my mind, but. Um, uh, I didn't have the opportunity before these these last two years um, with with different teams and different um, talks that uh, that I had in the past. It was it was never the the right time, or we didn't have the the right combination. So uh, luckily, it came now with uh, last year with uh, uh, Honda doing the the Indianapolis, and now with uh, with Zach uh, having this this endurance team. So. I think it's just casualty, but it's not because the lack of results of the last uh, couple of years. It's just because uh, everything was uh, in, into place in, in, for India and for here. You're renowned for the professional level of your approach, the rigour with which you prepare. So how have you prepared for Daytona compared to, say, Indianapolis, which is obviously a very, very different challenge? Well, I think in a similar way, uh, try to um, be open-minded, um, try to learn, try to listen to to all all the drivers that they have more experience, the teams that they 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 race for uh, this kind of races for for longer. And uh, um, yeah, obviously, I I have no experience in in many of the challenges that I will face in in the in the next uh, two or three weeks. So um, I think it's. It's good for me to uh, to listen, to learn from everyone, and then uh, take my own decisions when the race when the race comes. But uh, until that point, it's, it's just uh, uh, try to learn as much as I can. How have you been approaching that learning? You tested the car for the first time in Aragon last year. You have the raw before the Rolex Twenty Four test, and then into the weekend. Have you done any other simulator work? Any other preparations, or is it a little bit different in that regard that you can't quite do the same workload, shall we say, that you did for Indy? Yes, it's a bit different. There, I, I, I didn't uh, 
I didn't work in the simulator. Uh, I didn't find any any good simulator that had the the LMP2 and, and the Daytona uh, circuit. So it was more a, a, a work with the team, uh, analyzing the, the data that they sent to the drivers, um, try to know uh, my teammates better, Phil and, and Lando, try to get uh, uh, with them as much uh, time as possible off track as well to, to create a good uh, team spirit. So it was a, a different a different preparation, but at the end of the day, um, a 24-hour race is, is just... Uh, a little bit more unpredictable. Anything can happen there. Are many scenarios that uh, we will face. So, uh, as it, it doesn't matter how you prepare the race, it will always surprise you. So, I think uh, we are quite quite well prepared, and uh, hopefully, we have a, a good surprise. How are you finding the Ligier LMP2 car? This is a class of car that doesn't have a massive amount of it, of power for the level of grip it has. Sometimes it's said it's a little bit easier to drive maybe than some cars. But how have you found it, and the challenge of extracting the maximum from it? Um, it has been a, a challenging car so far. Um, the, the level of grip is, is good, but uh, at the same time, uh, in Daytona, especially at night, you, you face some, some really cold temperatures. So I think it's, it's difficult to put the, the tires in the, in the right window for working. Uh, there are no tire warmers in, in uh, IMSA, so uh, there are extra challenges there for, for that uh, uh, for that reason, so the level of grip is is constantly changing throughout the steam, so you need to adapt your driving style a little bit from the lap one, lap five, or lap uh, twenty five. So uh, that's uh, that's also quite quite good, and um, yeah, try to um, get um, more and more competitive. I think uh, it's difficult to balance all the cars as well because uh, with the DPI and and also the Oreca, there are. A different performance in different parts of the track so it's, it's up to the championship as well to decide how they balance this performance and uh, um, maybe we are a little bit behind right now but uh, hopefully we can speed things up uh, for, for the race. You talked often both here and at Indy about all the new challenges and how it's making you a, a better driver. When you're a Formula One driver as you've been for many years mostly the same circuit similar type of cars evolving yes different rules but still fundamentally a very similar challenge. How does it help you reevaluate your own approach and your own level of performance to try different cars? Well, I think it doesn't, doesn't change massively the, the approach or, or your own um, confidence or your own thoughts about the racing or about yourself. Uh, I think in Formula One, we all know um, how the, the car performance is... Uh, is crucial for, for the results and for the uh, competitive season. I think it's, it's the same in all kind of motorsport series, also here in endurance, but uh, you know the championships, they try to, to level the, the field a little bit and try to, to get the races uh, as interesting as possible until the last lap. So uh, that's, that's, that's good you know, for, for a driver point of view, but uh, um, you, know, you, you always believe in yourself and you try to to work as professional as possible and as much as you can in any any car you jump in and uh, try to help you, the team you are working for in, in that weekend. There's been a huge amount of interest in you coming here, just as there was for Indy last year, and people have responded really well to your desire to compete in other iconic races and to win the Triple Crown. Are you surprised by how excited fans are by what you're doing? Yes, a little bit, yes. You know, I'm, I'm happy, I'm surprised, I'm... Uh, um, proud of, of uh, the fans that they are uh, loving motorsport as much as I do and uh, 
um, they probably you know they they see the the effort that uh, we are putting behind all these all these races you know for us for me in particular uh, at this uh, time of my career it will be easy to uh, to be at home to enjoy myself a little bit uh, off season and then uh, during the championships you know race whatever the performance of the car is uh, you know get around the, the wall and uh, try to do my best but with not too much uh, stress and uh, it's not the way I am you know if I'm uh, second I, I will not be happy and if I'm 12 I will be even less happy so uh, that's the way I approach uh, Formula One and uh, also not Formula One, as I said, the coincidence uh, came the last coming, the last uh, past two years uh, of racing in some iconic races. It's a lot of effort, you know, there are no holidays anymore, there are no free days anymore. Um, there are a lot of studies behind of every, even every single steering wheel needs a couple of weeks to study all the buttons, etc. And uh, um, uh, as I said, I don't need to do this, but uh, I'm doing because I, I love and uh, I'm happy when some other people see this extra effort and uh, they appreciate and uh, they, they love uh, what we are doing. The Le Mans 24 hours is a clear objective as part of that Triple Crown. How important is a race like Daytona in preparing you for that? If you're going to be winning Le Mans outright, it's going to be a different type of car, but the traffic, the driving at night, the managing the race, these are all things that you could take into a Le Mans attack. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's quite important. I think uh, part of, of this adventure as well is, is to prepare uh, Le Mans uh, in, a, in a better way. I don't know when I will do Le Mans, but uh, I think um, the lack of experience in endurance races uh, is a handicap right now. As, as I had in Indy, the lack of experience in oval racing, I did my best for, for the entire month uh, to get up to speed. But uh, um, I think if, if I do Indy one day again, I will, I will have a different knowledge and I will be more prepared. So if, if I do Le Mans one day, I think the Daytona 24 will be a perfect practice for, for that adventure. One of the big challenges that drivers face in races like this is cutting through the traffic, in particular knowing who they're dealing with. Now, if you'd had a few seasons racing against these guys, you'd be familiar with who's who, who you can not take risks with, but who you know will see you. Is there anything you can do to prepare for that, or have you just got to be that fraction little bit more cautious just because you can't be sure of the character of some of the drivers and some of the cars yeah i think initially you have to be more um more careful about everything you know you don't know um who is who uh, at the beginning of the race or at the beginning of of the event so i think we will uh, play safe on that i think uh, it's the same for lando and, and for phil as well we are new in in insa uh in america racing so I think um, that will be the, the safe approach. But, uh, you know, I think when, when the race starts, every day is different. We, we see also in the practice, maybe in free practice one, you have one kind of mood and you go out in the, in the car and in the track and you have a one behavior. And then in free practice uh, four, you know, you have a different day uh, or a different night you slept better or worse and then uh, you behave differently also on the track uh, when when it comes to a, a situation of traffic or something so i think um, steam by steam uh, the race is very long we will try to manage the best we can but uh, uh, remaining very open on on how we will drive and how we will approach the race There's still a long way to go but how good a chance do you think you've got of being able to win the daytona 24 hours this year at the first attempt 
<laughs> I think uh, that's uh, a very big, big task. I think um, being realistic and being uh, honest with with ourselves first, and also with the fans. Uh, we, for two of us, is the first endurance race for London for me. For all three, is the first uh, IMSA race. Um, our, uh, let's say, package is 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 not on top of the 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 times normally uh, the Ligier and the the Gibson. So I think uh, we are maybe not the the top favorites, but. Uh, this is a, a 24-hour race. Anything can happen. We will go for it. But uh, let's say um, the starting uh, list of top, top favorites, we are maybe not on that one. But I guess if you can almost win the Indy 500, you're there in the fight for it. This must be a, a more realistic possibility considering the challenge is, is big, but it's not quite so alien to you. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's there. Um, we are, as I said, maybe not the, the top ones in the list of the favorites, but um, this is uh, motor racing. Anything can happen. There is not uh, exactly mathematics in any of the results. Uh, that's some, also something different compared to uh, Formula One, that maybe the results are more or less known uh, before going to the to the Grand Prix. You know that the uh, the the fast cars will be on pole position the podium more or less you know who will be in the points you know who will be uh, while in uh, endurance race or the indy 500 um, you can have an idea of who will be fast but uh, the final result you never know until the last lap so that's uh, that remains open for us and for the fans uh, a hope until the checker flag well, Gary, you've seen plenty of XF1 drivers come into sports car racing. Alonso is a 24-hour race virgin. So, realistically, how good can we expect him to be? And what will be the, the big challenges for him? As we saw at the test, his pace is a given. He's a very quick racing driver. He knows how to race, knows how to overtake. But there's no substitute for experience sometimes, no matter how much you can learn. I think it's it's traffic management uh, and perhaps tyre management. Although, obviously, he's, he's coming out of uh, uh, having to do that with... Pirelli tyres in Formula 1 so I'm sure he'll adapt to that side I think traffic management is the big thing and that's and if if you look at the great sports car race racing drivers I think say let's let's talk about McNish you know one of the greats of this century and 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 the late 90s he's phenomenal in traffic and and well, even he got it wrong sometimes well and, and of course you will uh and I think that's as 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 um Alonso has already says you wrote it in the magazine uh, after the raw that you know he was a bit it was a bit of a culture shock for him you know some of the uh, some of the driving in the other cars and it will be you know what's important for him is that he's got to learn how to get through the traffic without losing time without losing the temperature of the tires and that kind of thing and that's that's really what he's 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 got to do that's the biggest challenge I think and and that will serve him in good stead when he goes to to other sports car races uh hopefully Le Mans I think uh it's it's really learning is is he's not learning specifics at Daytona he's it's about getting sports car racing in his blood I mean Alonso's used to racing with the same 19 other drivers in Formula One week in week out so he'll know their strengths their weaknesses who he can give an inch to who he can who he can maybe take a couple of risks with but with sports car racing, you never really know who's in the other car at any one time. And he's not going to be used to racing with guys like John Faub or Tim Pappas or Don Yount in the, you know, GTD cars who are, you know, maybe amateur drivers who, um, you know, th- this is their hobby. They're being coached by other professionals in their car, but their, you know, their maybe awareness is, is not as good. Um, so 
it's going to be a real eye-opener for him, I think. We already mentioned the Continental tyres, and when the temperature drops during the night, they can be really tricky on, on restarts and actually coming out of the pits. I remember last year, Jeff Gordon did a pretty embarrassing spin pretty much straight out of the pits, which shows, you know, no matter how much your level of experience, you've got to be really switched on. It's about learning how to read a slower car ahead of you i think that's very important and some drivers talk about the body language of the car ahead and you know the top guys can pick up who's in it you know down the straight it should be going as fast with an am as it will with a pro we're talking about say a gtd car here but if you can if you can tell what it's doing in the corners you know how it's braking its racing line and all those things you you should be able to pick up who's in it a quick guy who's paying attention or an amateur who's perhaps you know uh, nearer nearer his uh, limit and and focusing more on getting through the corner than what's uh, behind him it was interesting watching Alonso during the raw test he didn't get a huge amount of uh, of laps in actually over the over the three days 64 I yeah, think. yeah he was quite surprised by how little and he had they tried to get him used to the various different situations he'll be in they tried to do a long run in one of the sessions where he could work on the traffic and it was interrupted by I think about three red flags which uh, which wasn't ideal for him but he didn't have any problem with the night driving and as you know, Daytona at night isn't Le Mans at night, is it? It's no, more like it's, it's more like a floodlit race. It's like Singapore Grand Prix, really. Yeah, it's so, floodlit all the way around. Exactly. There's no gloomy spots, so he had no problem at all with that. He reeled off the the night laps without any issue. So yeah, I think he realizes traffic is the is the key thing. And I think the point you were making, Gary, about the reading the you know the body language of the cars because it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can you can see when a driver's slower and you can say well maybe a driver who's struggling a bit more might not be so attentive but it's not always a direct correlation is it no exactly and there are quick drivers who are inattentive and slow drivers who are very respectful and sometimes you can not realize that there's been a driver change you might happen mm. upon the same car a couple of times in quite quick succession and it might have gone from a from a slow attentive polite driver to a one who's maybe not quite so attentive, particularly with concentration being difficult. So that's going to be it's going to be the big big challenge for him. Of course, the one aspect of this we haven't yet really talked about in great detail is his teammates. He'll share with Lando Norris, the McLaren Junior, who's racing an F2 this year, and Phil Hansen, who's Asian Le Mans Series LMP3 champion, another young sports car driver. Interestingly, their combined age is just two and a half months more than Alonso himself. Who, uh, oh, has, wow. which, which is unusual, Alonso pointed out. Well, well it, it's not as unusual as you might say. Well, it is unusual, but it's not the most extreme. A few years ago, uh, Colin Brown, who's now uh, a regular um, on the IMSA scene, made his debut along at Daytona, with, I think back in 05, with two other 16-year-olds in a uh, TRG car. Their mentor was Ross Bentley, a sort of an old sports car hand. He was... F- 48 at the time so basically their combined age was the same as his age so it's not the most extreme uh, example of that but interesting anyway that's brilliant isn't it yeah Al- alonso um at the raw he said yeah and i'm not even that old he seemed, he seemed, <laughs> a, little, he seemed a little bit put out by it, but no, he's been getting on well with them but james what do you make of these two teammates they're very very different backgrounds so looking at the the drive line we talked a lot about alonso but as a whole how strong do you think it is? Norris is coming into this and he wants to be Alonso in a few years' time. He's had such a strong track record throughout all the junior series. Very talented driver. McLaren have, have got him involved in simulator um, work, tyre testing. Of course, he went to Brazil for about 15 minutes. I think he said he went to Brazil for a bath in the end, didn't he, before the, the Pirelli tyre test was cancelled <laughs> and he ended up, going back to, ended up going back to Macau. Um, but Norris is a, a hugely 
talented driver who many tip for for the top. How he'll bounce off Alonso will be really interesting to watch. Um, you'd imagine, you know, Norris is a very down-to-earth, very grounded character, and he'll treat this as an opportunity to learn, um, where perhaps some more brash talents who are, you know, a bit more keen to impress would, would try and beat Alonso at every possible opportunity. I think he'll take this as a chance to soak up the knowledge and, and bounce ideas off each other. Of course, he's new to sports car racing, so um, as, as all three drivers on that on that car are, um, it'll be an interesting dynamic to watch how they relate with, with Phil Hansen as well. Um, he's done. He's actually the most experienced of the three in terms of sports car racing experience. As you said, he won the Asian Le Mans Series LMP3 title and he's done a season of um, LMP2 already in the Ligier with Topquith Motorsport but again he's he's so young and in terms of leading the team on setup direction you'd imagine he'd default to Alonso on that one. Yeah, that's the interesting thing it's a it's a it's an unbalanced driver lineup I guess I guess you'd say wouldn't you because not just because of the age but the relative experience so you're right I think Alonso does become the de facto team leader in a way that he wouldn't be if he was dropped in alongside I don't know a Ricky Taylor or a veteran of, of exactly, racing. Yeah. No, it's 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 an intriguing race lineup, isn't it? You know, they're they're two complete sports car rookies, and one guy with a season and a half. If you actually counted the races he's done, you know, he didn't do the full. Did they do the full ELMS in the end? No, no they. they, they I think they out. stopped after the. Yeah, they did a couple of wet races as well. They did yeah. Spa, Le Mans, and Nurburgring, and they stopped after the Germany. So round. he's he's barely he's probably barely into double figures. In, in number of sports car races he's done. So that, that's quite He has at least done a 24-hour race because he were, they were ninth in LMP2 at Le Mans last year, weren't they? Tockworth, he was sharing with... Uh, Nigel Moore and your Kirin friend Corinne Ch- Chandler. Exactly, yeah, Chandok and Moore. So uh, in the raw test, the gap from Alonso to Norris was about four tenths. That was distorted again by the fact Alonso did qualifying, so Norris's pace isn't really a problem. Hansen's was about 1.3 off Alonso again. He didn't do the quick runs. So that, to me, looks like a spread that's that's workable, isn't it? And it's probably, in reality, a bit a bit narrower, that spread. So that that's positive in terms of the, the pace of just a car circulating. Well, before we move on to previewing the race in general, let's just hear from Alonso's teammates. First, we'll hear from Lando Norris on his experience, and then from Phil Hansen. I'm joined by Lando Norris, along with Phil Hansen, one of Fernando Alonso's teammates for the Daytona 24 Hours. Well, Lando, this is your first experience of Daytona. Obviously, over the past few years, you've achieved a lot in racing, learned a lot. But this is a, a great opportunity for you to sharpen your skills and take on something very different to what you're used to in single-seaters. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, especially having Fernando on the team, I can, I can learn a lot from him. Um, being in McLaren as well, you know, I don't think he's he's too afraid to give something away or, or tell me stuff and, and try and help me, basically. So I think that's a good thing. Um, and uh, it's different, all this uh, you know, multi-car racing, um, having teammates uh, in the same car and stuff. It's it's very different, um, but it's something good to learn. And I think I can take small bits away and bring it back to back home um, and, and take it on in my single-seater career. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a big learning experience. Um, and I can definitely take some some positives away. And it's unusual for a driver in your position to be able to just to do a, a standalone race, shall we say? It's not part of a championship, so you're you're wanting to do well. It's a professional team, a professional entry, but it's kind of this this standalone thing that's a little bit different to the to the wider picture of a championship. So you can really take almost more from it, perhaps, than you could from an individual race in a in a usual series. Yeah, I think. Um 
you know, I'm not doing the whole championship or anything, so it's very much a it's a one-off race where I just need to try and take on board and, and learn and mainly have fun, I guess. Um, you know, it's the reason I'm coming out here is to, to have fun, learn something different, um, have a new experience of, of racing. Um, and hopefully in the end, you know, try and get a good result. But in the end, uh, we still need to work hard as a team, um, trying to improve the car, improve the, the teammates, um, because it's a very different ball game of a, of a 24-hour race instead of a kind of sprint race, you would say, of, of two hours or something. Um, but it's mainly trying to learn and uh, and take everything on board from from, from Fernando and Phil and, and the team and, and try and improve myself as a driver. You said you want to learn from Fernando, but you've also talked about wanting to prove yourself a little bit to him. Obviously, it's a team effort. It's all about the overall result, and you're not trying to show how good you are purely. But is it important to try and gain some respect from a driver like Fernando if you can work with him kind of as his, as his peer, as his equal? I guess that, that shows how far you've been able to come in your relatively young career. I think so. I think you know, having respect and um, trying to learn things from him uh, such a well-known and extremely good driver. I think uh, it's only going to be advantageous f for myself. And, you know, I don't want to be the guy in the team um, from, from the three of us who, where he has to carry me along and, and Phil. I think I want to be the, or try and become, you know, one of the guys who can... Um, you can help out your teammates and give them advice and, and uh, push the team forward from, from your side of things instead of just always relying on Fernando or, or the better driver. Um, and that's just one of the things as well, you know, even in F2 or F3 when you have your teammates, uh, you still need to try and work with them, improve the team and everything. And I think that's just one of the things for, for Formula 1 or, or Formula 2 this year where you don't always have the best car. And you need to try and learn from, from the other people around you and, and your teammates to try and improve the whole team. And what's it like working with someone like Fernando Alonso? Obviously, you will have grown up watching him race. As he pointed out, yourself and Phil Hansen, the other driver, you're basically the same age as him combined. So he's a, almost a different generation. So what's that experience like? It's, it's really good. I think the three of us get along very well. And uh, I think for... for Fernando and myself, um, we are here to try and enjoy it as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, we're both very competitive and want to do well for, for the whole team. Um, but I think, you know, you're working with a professional driver who's won two world championships, um, who's, I don't know how many years of, of driving he's done, but a lot more than I've done. And, um, you know, you learn things which you never would have learnt um, unless you did something like this and drove with such a good driver. Um, so it's definitely been an addition to, to the team and maybe, you know, it's, it's helped the team be better because we have a very good driver. But for, for myself, um, learning from someone like, like him has definitely been, definitely been good. I'm joined by Phil Hansen, who will be sharing the United Autosports Ligier with Fernando Alonso and Lando Norris in the Daytona 24 hours. Phil, you're in the middle of the uh, the Raw Before the Relics 24 test. How's progress with the car so far? Yeah, well, we have a different aero package this season, so we're, the team's still getting its head around that, And um, but we're, we're making positive steps. So um, we've made progress from FP1 to FP2, and I think we've got a good idea where to go now for FP3 and hopefully quality tomorrow as well. 
How difficult is it to unlock the pace from these cars when you have small changes, new nose on the car, so it has an impact on the, the balance and the handling of the car, so you're chasing kind of that performance at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, well, obviously with the updates, uh, it makes it a bit more tricky because some of the other cars have no updates, so they've had time to, you know, tune and um, sort out their, their packages for this year. At the same time, these seven sessions, they go out pretty quick. You know, once we, once we pass the first two days, the, the third day is, you know, 30-minute, 15-minute sessions. So it's surprising how quickly the time actually flies by. Um, and when there's three drivers, obviously the time has to be shared pretty much equally. So, um, so it also makes it a bit more tricky to back-to-back testing. And for you personally, I guess it's fair to say that in the wider motorsport world, you're the less well-known of the, the drivers in the car. Fernando Alonso, obviously a two-times world champion, Lando Norris, a rising star. But you've been making a pretty big impact in sports car racing yourself in recent times. So how does this race, this outing for you, fit in with your career progression? Yeah, well, obviously it's, it's a bit unusual to be, to be teamed with two very, very, very competitive drivers. Um, it, makes, it means it's great for the race because we're in a very good stance uh, as for the, champion, you know, as for the, the win. Um, or finishing strongly in the race um, at the end. But personally, it puts me in a really good opportunity then to learn from the best. Um, I'm sure there's many drivers that might see it as a, as a weakness to be up against such good drivers, maybe make you look bad. But for me, it's just many opportunities to, to see where you stand and to learn from the best. And in the case of Fernando Alonso, what are you learning from working up close with such a well-respected and successful driver? Well, to be honest, you learn as much off track as you do on track. So the way they go about things, the way they talk, the feedback they give, that's probably been the most noticeable learning curve of, uh, of my time spent with him. Um, and also just to learn how, how unemotional he is with, with things outside the car, how he can separate his, his kind of um, reactions with, uh, with the teammates compared to his um, information that he feeds back to the data engineers. So you can, you can tell he's very experienced in that respect. And it's also, you know, really good points and really good little um, phrases that you can pick up on to help you help you give back quite uh, crucial information. And I guess it's unusual for a driver at the stage of your career you're in to be working as an equal, if you like, with a, with a driver of, of that calibre. So a fantastic opportunity for you. Yeah, I mean, it was funny when, when they asked me to do ins- installation and stuff because although Fernando's a uh, Formula 1 champion and Lando's a rising star and, you know, F3 champion, I'm the most familiar with the car. So... At the same time, they're a huge amount of experience. I've probably got the most experience with this exact uh, car and in sports cars as well. So, um, so it's, it's funny, but it, it all pans out equally in the end. And for you to have the chance to measure yourself against two drives of this caliber, a rising star and an established superstar, yeah. that's a, a unique opportunity. And you must be fairly pleased with uh, the comparison of the pace. Obviously, it's not been all about raw pace so far, but you're, you're certainly in the ballpark, which I guess is positive. Yeah, I mean, we're getting closer and closer every 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 um, practice session, which is always positive. Um, but amongst the three drivers, there's not a huge gap, which is what we look for, consistency. Um, but for the race specifically, I think we'll, uh, it's about staying on the lead lap. And at the end, then it will come the raw pace. But until then, consistency is staying out of trouble. That's what will matter. So as long as all of us three can get within the same sort of time, we'll be competitive. So let's have a bit of a look at the rest of the race now. Now, Gary, the prototype class, 20 entries. Of course, the prototype challenge class that was the old Orica Formula Le Mans cars, that's now gone, and that, that prototype challenge series is now a standalone LMP3 series, so uh, that should at least mean fewer safety car periods, I'd imagine, Yes, in this quite. race. Not the easiest cars to drive for a uh, for what's more of, a, of an AM car. But now, okay, Gary, the four Cadillacs, the two Action Express cars, and then one each for Wayne Taylor Racing Spirit of Daytona, they topped the raw test. They were 1.182 seconds faster than the next best car, which was the Penske Acura, driven by Dane Cameron. 
they have been hit by balance of performance. The uh, the air restrictor has gone from 32.2 mil down to 31.6. The air restrictors. Air restrictors, yes, sorry. So that will hold them back a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But is there any reason to consider the Cadillacs not to be favourites? No, they are favourites. I think they're favourites on what they did on the test. Cadillac is favourite because there's four of them, each with a strong driver lineup. The car was proved its reliability straight out of the box uh, this time last year. And I think it's a very raceable car. That big, normally aspirated V8, not as big as it was. Cause it was that's five and a half litres, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Uh, you know, as the Americans say, and I won't do the voice, there ain't no replacement for displacement. You were talking about traction earlier. You know, the punch onto onto the banking after the infield is very important uh you know and it's you know there are two hairpins there's the bus stop okay the bus stops a quick pretty quick corner now but you know and also important are restarts from the yellows can be important at any time in the race but can be important very late in the race at that crucial uh last restart you know, and if you've got the if you've got the guts behind you, and you've got the the big push when the race goes green for the final time, quite often you can jump cars ahead of you. So torque is just so important. It's probably a very raceable car as well as a fast car and a reliable car, and and the numbers are in their favour with four strong cars. Of the four of them, do any of them stand out? Just quickly run through them. Action Express have got two cars. First, the Mustang Sampling Racing, liveried one, Felipe Albuquerque, Jao Barbosa, Christian Fittipaldi. And then the second car, the red Wellen Engineering car, Felipe Nazar, Eric Curran, Mike Conway, Stuart Middleton. Wayne Taylor Racing, of course, the winners last year with Jordan Taylor, Renga van der Zander, Ryan Hunter-Ray. And then the Spirit of Daytona car, which was fairly hastily convened for, for Daytona. It was a relatively late call with Matt McMurray, Tristan Vautier and Eddie Cheever III. So if you had to go for one of those cars, does anyone anyone leap out? There's some strong lineups there. I mean, you'd probably go for the first Action Express car, the the Albuquerque Barbosa Fittipaldi one, surely down to experience. Um, they finished second last year after that questionable movers from Ricky Taylor in the in the WTR car. Action Express has has been a a contender year on year on year on year since almost the the dawn of time with the uh, old Daytona prototypes. Um, it's a it's a very stable lineup. Um, Fittipaldi's now been shunted down to be um, effectively the reserve driver for the endurance races, with Albuquerque doing the full season in that car. Um, and across in the other car, Felipe Nazar, of course, formerly uh, of F1 fame, um, making his return to Daytona after several years out. He won the Sunoco Challenge um, for his British F3 title in 2011. Actually, finished third in in 2013 on what was his sports car racing debut and of course Felipe Nazar even when he was in Formula 1 I remember him a few times talking about how much he loved Daytona and uh, how much he'd, he'd actually like to still to be able to still be able to do it and of course he set the pace in the raw test he was the fastest driver overall I mean he he initially did Daytona as a Sunoco Challenge winner and he's got another Sunoco Challenge winner in his car um, Stuart Middleton who won the British GT4 championship last year this is an absolutely huge opportunity for him. Um, if you consider the last three Sunoco Challenge winners were all um, established drivers in GT3. Um, Seb Morris, who'd done GP3 before then. Johnny Adam, who was already part of Aston Martin's factory lineup in um, WEC. And Phil Keane, who's just been mega in everything he's driven and 
um, may or may not have been involved in a TV show that we all know. So he's got a lot to live up to, Stuart Middleton, but he's got some very solid co-drivers in Mike Conway, who's been um, a staple of Toyota's LMP1 lineup for the last few years. A driver who keeps getting better and better in sports cars. Absolutely. Just interesting, talking about Middleton, he's coming out of the GT4, so it's a colossal step for him, isn't it? And it's going to be intriguing. He's obviously a talented young lad, and I think Daytona, we're talking about, it's a relatively easy track to learn. I think that's in his, his favour. He's only done one test. He hasn't got a lot of mileage. As we know, the uh, the Daytona meeting is pretty quick fire. It's not like Le Mans. You know, the sessions are quick. Loads of red flags. He's not going to get a lot of running before the race. So it is. it, it will be a baptism of fire for him. So uh, it will be interesting to see how he copes, uh, how much confidence the team have him, how much and how much time they give him in the car. We've talked a lot about Wayne Taylor racing sort of fleetingly, but of course they're not only the defending winners, but they're the defending IMSA champions. Um, last year with Ricky and, and Jordan Taylor, who are the sons of the owner Wayne Taylor, a very successful racer in his own right. Of course, with Ricky now moving to Penske, that left a void in the team that they filled with Renga van der Zander. Who... Of course, they already had the void of Max Angelelli retiring mm. after after the endurance race last year. So uh, they they filled that with Renga van der Zander, who um, British Formula Three fans will maybe remember from the 2009 season when he raced against Daniel Ricciardo um, when he was the team leader for for high tech. He was there um, sort of contractually to support Walter Grubmuller um, and ended up being a, a very credible front runner for the title he's since reinvented himself in america and he won the lmpc title with starworks a few years ago um with ryan hunter ray of course an established indycar driver indy 500 winner and indycar champion um that lineup hasn't been mentioned a, a huge amount but there's there's no obvious weak links there the spirit of daytona car is is perhaps the the least um credible you'd say of of the four cadillac entries um tristan vautier i think he's he's got a bit of a hard rap in indycar from his his outings with dale coin i think he's a lot better than they suggest and of course he did win the indy lights championship a few years ago was a was a full season regular in imsa last year in in gtd with the um sun trust mercedes and post, has posted a lot of good performances with jerome Policon's team i think he's his uncle in, in Blancpain, you know, Vautier is, is a sort of uh, quite a quiet character, but I think he's, he's actually a top-line driver. I think he's a good little peddler. Matt McMurray is, a, is an interesting one in that car because a couple of years ago he went to Le Mans and uh, there was a big fanfare about him becoming the youngest ever Le Mans starter. His career hasn't really kicked on since then, so it'd be interesting to see whether an opportunity in a, a very competitive Cadillac will, will, will do that for him. Well, he's actually done what he probably should have done before uh he went to Le Mans but obviously there was I guess there was you know there was a story to tell Mm. making him the youngest uh driver ever to do Le Mans and that and that obviously created good sponsorship opportunities but he's gone away and he's got uh the experience that he needs you know he's done lots of IMSA lights and uh lots of other stuff he's raced yeah. yeah he's raced in Europe so he's 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 got the grounding that he didn't have when uh, he he did Le Mans as a 16-year-old. So uh, 
we shouldn't perhaps judge him on what he did back then. So you know, he he, he could have a bright, he could have a decent future. Let's let's see. How about the other contenders in the prototype ranks? Let's look at the the DPI cars first. Of course, the DPIs, which are at heart LMP2 cars. The Cadillac is a is a Delara at heart with an aero kit and different engine. So we've got the split of these and the Pucker LMP2 cars, of which the Oracle and the Ligiers are, are the examples. So there's two names that stand out. Penske coming in with the Acuras, Yerst coming in with the Mazdas. We've also got Extreme Speed Motorsport with the uh, with the Nissans. If you had to pick out a lead challenger, it's not really obvious out of the other DPIs, is it? Obviously, you know, having Penske and Yerst in in the championship is is amazing. Yerst, you know, the um, the Mazda has been uh, massively reworked uh, since last year. Basically, it's. It's more or less an all-new car, apart from the monocoque. The uh, LMP, and even in its old form, it's a car that had a habit of every now and again showing. Yes, speed, but yeah, really not not consistently. No, I'd, I'd say that as we, we were talking about the uh, Spirit of Daytona car last year, at time, you know, like on its debut, it was it was competitive for the sort of first half of the race, but then Spirit of Daytona obviously are not using it now. So yeah, I think. Yes, they've got some performance breaks uh, ahead of Daytona. If you if you look down the times, they are, they were sort of at the back end of the top ten at the Raw. They've they've got some weight off, fifteen kilos, I believe. Plus, they've got a rev increase of three hundred revs, and there's there's sort of some tweaks in the boost range, which is the way uh, we're talking about restrictors for the Cadillacs. That's how power is controlled for normally aspirated engines, but. For turbo engines, there's a, a chart listing revs and maximum boost that they're allowed to run, and their 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 boost range has been tweaked down in some places, up in others. Speaking to Harry Tinknell, he's basically said that Yost coming on board means they've got nowhere to hide. Um, their track record across sports cars, from Group C to um, you know the multi success of Audi, I think they won eleven times with Audi. Uh, and of course, there's the Bentley success as well that they ran in 2003. So, Yurst has tried its hand at most things down the years and, and been a success. And of course, is a former Daytona winner, won uh, with a 962 Porsche in 1991. There you go. So, they've 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 brought some of their well-established drivers, if you like, Rene Rast, of course, the reigning DTM champion, has has, has come on board with with that program. Um, Oliver Jarvis, um, who won the final. Uh, Audi participation in in LMP1 in Bahrain in 2016. So there's there's a lot to like about the the Yurst lineup, and of course Penske, as as Gary mentioned, you know their their return to sports car after a decade or so. They actually uh, qualified on pole for Petit Le Mans with Elio Castroneves um, when they were running the Orica as, as effectively a, a practice run, um, and actually they were doing very well there until Castroneves was taken out by. Um, a GTD Ferrari, which again goes to show, um, you know, the random elements of traffic that that can affect the racing. It, it is so hard to tell. There's a lot of glamour names on 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 their entry list in particular. Simon Pagano making his um, return to sports cars. Of course, he won the LMS in 2010 with Highcroft Racing. Finished second at Le Mans with Peugeot before they pulled the plug on that program. Ricky Taylor and Dane Cameron uh, both drove the Cadillacs last year. They've got a good point of reference as they go to develop that car. 
And I'm going to say Dane Cameron is a bit of a star. He was mm. he was uh, mega last year. I've talked to a, uh, an engineer who worked with him, and he's and he he's full of praise for him. He says he's a, he's he's a real racer, a guy who can just dig deep, you know, get stuff done that uh, perhaps you know other drivers can't do. You know, sort of elbows out shirt sleeves up kind of thing and the ultimate accolade was he got on the autosport top 50 drivers of 2017 indeed he did the penskis looked promising in testing their outright pace wasn't stunning but a few people were saying yeah that that car looks strong and if you look at it they've got cameron juan pablo montoya pagano in one car castroneves ricky taylor and graham rahal in the other so there's no no weak links there the other dpi extreme speed motorsport with the the nissan winners a couple of years ago and of course winners at petite last year uh and actually on the debut of the car last year, looked pretty good. I think they finished fourth, uh, despite losing power in the sort of final few hours. You know, I think, you know, potentially they've got a shot. Just going back to Yerst, I think it just might be too early for that program, for that new version of the car. It felt like that at the, that at the test, actually, that it's a sort of starting point rather mm. than... But absolutely, as, as, as Tink says, they've got nowhere to hide. You know, you have Yerst on board. You have to win, don't you? So with the LMP2 cars, I should have mentioned there's also the uh, the Multimatic Riley. There's, there's a bar one motorsports entry of that car, which uh, isn't overly fancied. But to my mind, you'd pick an Orica to lead the the Pucker LMP2 charge. And obviously it's the, the Jota run Jackie Chan DCR cars that probably stand out. There's a couple of strong driver lineups there as well. Of course, that's the team that... Could. Second and third at Le Mans and was very yeah. close to winning it. Absolutely. You know, so they came close to winning one of the big uh, sports car classics against the odds. Now, uh, I guess they're on more level terms. I think they've got a very good chance. They've got a great driver lineup, particularly. Both cars are strong, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, Lance Stroll, Felix Rosen, Chris Robin Frins, Daniel Uncadella in the 37 car. That's a strong lineup. Three European F3 champions plus Robin Frins. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, they've got a great lineup. They're a great, great team. The big question is are the LMP2s equal with the DPIs? Basically, probably not. IMSA is. The, the problem is the DPIs appear to have more performance than the LMP2s. So they're balanced down to the LMP2s. So that sort of sort of gives them the DPIs an advantage. We saw this problem a couple of years ago, didn't we? When when Extreme Speed Motorsports won a couple of years ago, it was with the Ligier um, LMP2 car. Mm-hmm. They were against the uh, Daytona prototypes before this new DPI old, formula was... you know, old tube frame, yeah. fashion, big and V8. Looked like post boxes in their most ugly form. <laughs> yes. And this balance of performance initiative was was in place then and it, it you know almost swung the other way towards the the lmp2 cars over the over the dps so it's it's quite a tricky balancing act that, that they've got um one thing we didn't mention of course with jota is like united autosports they're sampling the continental tires for the first time so they've got a learning curve with those there is also another orica that was showing very well at the test the core autosport car that's got Lloyd deval roman dumas colin brown and jonathan bennett in it i mean that's not necessarily 100% strong on it, but there's some big names there. Well, I'd say that's, you know, John Bennett is the owner of Core or part owner of Core, so he's the money man. But the other three drivers... The car doesn't go anywhere without some funding. Well, exactly. But the other three drivers, you know, Colin Brown was a guy who got picked up for NASCAR. You know, we were talking about him as a 16-year-old a few years ago. You know, his career didn't didn't take off in in NASCAR, Uh, but he's, he's sort of become a jobbing sports car pro 
uh, you know, a guy who's earning a living racing regularly in and sports been very cars. successful in LMPC as a as a partnership over the last few years. Bennett and Brown have, have won two. They, I believe they won the first two LMPC titles. I think you're right. Yes, it was Van der Zander and Popal for mm-hmm. for Starworks. Um, but yeah, that's a, a hugely strong lineup. Roman Dumas, since he won the um, World Endurance Championship in 2016, arguably that championship owed a lot to the unreliability of other cars at Le Mans and the um, shall we say help that they received from their teammates uh, a fair bit of team orders that helped Dumar, Neil Yanni and Mark Lieb come out on top and, and since then Dumar's sort of reverted to being a, an LMP2 driver he, he made a lot of appearances last year with, with Signatech Alpine um, but still a very handy driver and of course he was rather quick at Pike's Peak last year Let's have a quick look at GTLM. James, it's always tightly contested. There'll probably only be seconds between the leaders and the closing stages. Got nine cars from Ford, Chevrolet, Porsche, Ferrari and BMW. Would you like to pick a favourite? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're Um, going to have to. A a couple of years ago, uh, in 2016, there was 0.034 seconds at the line between Oliver Gavin and Antonio Garcia in the Corvettes. Great photo. Um, Fantastic photo finish in in that race. Last year, we saw a really strong battle between pretty much all the manufacturers aside from BMW that ironically were running an art car that had the words fast printed along the side and really they were anything but. But this year, BMW have got a new car. They'll be running in the WEC for the full season. They've had a break, performance break, balance performance, but they still don't quite look in the game. Yeah, I mean, they've got a little bit of work to do to catch up to the to the established runners. Um, Ford won it last year. Dirk Muller put a really good move on James Collado in the Rizzi Ferrari late on um, and ended up fending off Patrick Pillay in the new Porsche, which um, actually didn't have a huge amount of success in its first year last year. Second year for that program, you'd expect Porsche with the um, mid-rear-engined car to be um, a, a stronger proposition it's it's really hard to tell, honestly, Ed. I mean, Corvette were only really in the fight last year because of pit stops. They've sort of gradually filtered their way back. Um, you have to say it does favour Ford, the, the, the track layout, with it being a, a very um, high-speed circuit with um, aero efficiency being all-important on the banking. Um, Sebastian Bourdais, Dirk Muller and Joey Hand in, the, in that lineup, very strong pairing, of course, won Le Mans the first time uh, out in 2016 together and hand was fastest at the raw he was but really it, it, it's it's so close to to cool i mean even Le Mans last year it, it wasn't really resolved until the final pit stops of who who had to take on the most fuel at the end we saw a, a great fight between aston martin and and corvette there's there's no aston obviously involved at daytona but really this is is going to be a great great scrap that will be a really exciting subplot to the dpi versus lmp2 battle for the outright honors I'm going to put my money on Porsche because Porsche, particularly in the WEC, which I followed last year, they didn't win a race, but they were getting stronger through the season. They should have won in Shanghai. Well, they had an engine problem when leading quite early on at Shanghai. Fuji in the wet, uh, they could, should have won that one. You know, they're slowly getting to grips with that quite radical, you know, mid-engined 9-11 uh, they did have a win in IMSA last year. I just, I've just got a feeling that it could be, it could be their turn. You know, they've got Nick Tandy and Earl Bamba back full time in the squad after the end of Porsche's LMP1 program. You know, Bruni, who who joined Porsche after a spot of uh, gardening leave uh, to do IMSA last year, he's actually in the WEC this year, but he's coming over 
uh, will be in the car at Daytona and the other long races. So, uh, yeah, I've just I've just got a feeling that it's Porsche's turn. Pound for pound, it's a massively strong lineup, isn't it? Oh, yeah. One of the things I've well, forgotten they all are, though, aren't that, they, in this, in this class? Yeah. I mean, that's not... Well, there's no that, weak links, that, that, are there? You know, you've got nine first-rate crews there. And Ford is down to two cars, is, 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 is another factor. Last year, they had four, of course, with the Multimatic run um, cars from the UK not being entered this year. An interesting point as well is that Rizzi Competizione is returning for this one. Um, after Le Mans last year, they had a, a huge shunt... Um, where well, they had an altercation with an LMP2 car on the Molesan straight. Um, they've got a stacked lineup with Pierre Guidi, Collado, Davide Regon, and Tony Vilander. So that's the WEC champions of last year and um, two Rizzi veterans in um, Vilander and, and Regon. No Giancarlo Fisichella this year. Um, we're not really sure what's what's happening with his situation, but. Well, I quite fancy the Ferrari on pace, but of course they've only got one bullet in the gun, haven't they? Everyone else has got two. Well, absolutely, and you know the numbers game is an is an important factor in sports car racing. And just quickly, the GTD class, twenty one cars in it. Could we just pick out a couple of the, the cars to watch briefly, James? Well, the obvious sort of headline names of the GTE AM champions of the WEC last year, Paul Delalana, Pedro Lamy and Matthias Lauda joined by Daniel Serra who of course won Le Mans with Aston Martin there, entered in a uh, Spirit of Race Ferrari that's effectively an arrive and drive deal with the um, AF Course guys, Um, the Grasser Lamborghini team that won the Blancpain championship last year, we've got Mecca Bortolotti who is another one who made our Autosport Top 50 drivers last year Um, one pole for the Dubai 24 hours last week um, very strong there although they were denied by a couple of punctures um, but my favourites for that class would be the Wright, bro- uh, Wright brothers that's a yeah. that's a historic be flying. Leap, isn't it? Ah. <laughs> 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 would be the Wright Motorsports Porsche they won the pretty World Challenge last year with Pat Long They've also signed up Christina Nielsen, who won the last two um, GTD championships. And they've got Matthew Jaminet, who's an up-and-coming Porsche racer, with Robert Renauer, who's one of these under-the-radar silvers. So they'll be very good. As a as a final hat tip, you'd say um, watch out for the Lexus with Scott Pruitt in. Last race? Um, yeah, last race of a very... At the age of 130. <laughs> very storied career, five-time winner. But of course, he was the first person who crashed last year. Um, rather an embarrassing exit for the new Lexus with, with Pruitt behind the wheel last year so he'll be hoping to go out on high this year my pick actually is a porsche but i think the park place car uh patrick Lindsay, jörg bergweister norbert seedler and tim pabas i think that's that's got a shot I, i'm going to say that that's that's a match for your uh your uh, right motorsports uh, lineup not the right brothers <laughs> well there we go we've got three very competitive classes there to watch this weekend of course you can follow all the news on autosport.com gary watkins will be out there bringing you all the all the latest updates and obviously uh, not quite hourly reports from the race but we'll have regular updates of of what's going on there also remember to pick up a copy of this week's autosport magazine out on thursday which has fernando alonso on the cover a big in-depth story about his daytona 24 hours assault and remember to check out sister titles f1 racing magazine and motorsport.com Thanks to Gary Watkins and to James Newbold for their insight. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
There ain't no replacement for a displacement. <laughs> That's definitely going that, into the podcast. That wasn't, uh, yeah, okay. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right, and they're a little too far away, and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.